0: Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor PG Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew speaks on Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20, The Righteousness of the Scribes and Pharisees, preached on May 11, 1997. So let us turn to Matthew 5:17 through 20. And we read this uh, scripture already. In the previous section, Jesus demanded of his disciples, the citizens of the kingdom. Jesus demanded that they function as salt of the earth, salt of the rotting earth. Jesus demanded that they shine as light in the deep darkness of the world. The world of course is to see our shining, our good works and glorify the Heavenly Father. Now in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus sets forth the mission, his mission in relation to the scripture. And in this section of scripture, he speaks about himself himself. He speaks about his relationship to scripture and he demands that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that we may enter the kingdom of heaven. The surpassing righteousness. There's no question that Jesus Christ came into conflict with the way of the scribes. The professional theologians of the day. He certainly came in conflict with the Pharisees. Who were the separatists. Holier than everybody else. Punctilious in their observance of the law at least their thought. Pharisees looked upon the Old Testament. And came up with 613 commandments. And then they elaborated on that. They have their oral traditions. They have their own ideas. And they imposed upon the scripture their own ideas. So much so, their traditions became superior to ...and more authoritative than the Holy Scripture itself. They made Scripture null and void by their rationalization. For instance, the Scripture required that we honor Mother and Father... ...which means that we obey them... ...which means that we don't put them in government accommodations... That we should be taking care of them. We don't warehouse them. The Pharisees. They interpreted that law. And they said you know. You can dishonor your mother. And father. You don't have to care for them at all. You just rationalize and say. What was due them. You have given to God. You don't have to give it to God at least. Tell them. Notice how. They made the word of God null and void. By their own traditions. And there is no question. Jesus Christ opposed all such rationalization. Jesus opposed constantly. This pharisaic evisceration. Of the word of God. He came to destroy their attempt To destroy the scripture. But his mission. Which he reveals in this section of scripture. His mission was to uphold the scripture. To establish it. To fulfill it. What he opposed was the attempt of scribes and Pharisees. To destroy scripture by their own stupid opinions. God's word requires us to honor mother. As well as love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. So the purpose of his incarnation was to glorify God the father by fulfilling his scripture. Though Christ opposed false views of the scripture. His disciples Should not expect him to abolish God's word. And give some new messianic law. He did not come. To cause the disintegration. Of the scripture. Kataluo in Greek exactly means that. No he didn't come. To cause the scripture to be destroyed. He came to fulfill it. To uphold it. Turn with me to. Psalms 40. And there it is, the purpose of Christ's mission. He is revealed. Verse 6 through 8, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. First, let's look at the authority of scripture. Jesus Christ believed in the inspiration and the infallibility of the scripture. The scripture, of course, is referred to as the law. It is called the law and the prophets. It is called the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. But all these stand for the Old Testament. Jesus, therefore, tells here that the scripture, the Old Testament, has permanent ...validity and authority... ...until the end of the age. It has permanent validity as a whole... ...as well as in its particular details. Its smallest letter... ...called Yod... ...or the smallest part of a letter... ...will have permanent validity... ...power and authority. In other words... Jesus believed in the verbal inspiration of the scripture. Meaning the inspiration, the infallibility, the inerrancy, the authority, the power of scripture reaches to every word as well as to every thought in the holy scripture. That every word is of divine breath and therefore valid in its relationship to other words. The inspiration as I said reaches to every word as well as every thought. St. Peter spoke about this in his second epistle. He says the scripture did not come from me. They didn't make it up. By just like like writing a novel. It's not their own creation. He says men spoke from God. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Saint Paul tells the same thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture. Is God breathed. And therefore profitable. The infallibility of scripture. The validity of scripture. The permanence of scripture. The power of scripture. Jesus was not a theological liberal. Whose job is to take apart the scripture. Kataluo. To cause its disintegration. Jesus Christ was not a theological liberal. To destroy the authority of scripture. The theological liberal destroys its authority so that he can sin freely. And I believe that we in the evangelical world also join them. When we refuse to submit ourselves to the power and the authority of the scripture. And carry on our own sin. And pay lip service to the doctrine of the inspiration and the authority of scripture. Jesus came to uphold, to establish, to conform and fulfill the scripture. So let me tell you, if anyone questions the authority of scripture. He questions the authority of the son of God himself. Let me say to you, it is impossible to destroy scripture and believe in Jesus as the son of God. So Jesus believed in the scripture. Jesus believed in creation out of nothing. He believed in Adam and Eve. Created by God. He believed in the fall. He believed in the miracles. It is Jesus In John chapter 10 and verse 35 says this. The scripture cannot be broken. It's impossible to destroy its validity, its power, its authority, its permanence. His mission negatively put is not to destroy the scripture. But secondly, positively to fulfill scripture. Jesus came to do the will of God as revealed and predicted in the scriptures. He came to fulfill its ethical demands and fulfill its messianic predictions. He came to fulfill. First, he came to interpret scripture correctly for us. It is in Jesus Christ we discover the correct meaning of the scripture. He is the sole interpreter of it. And this he did so in his teachings. The scribes and Pharisees misinterpreted the scripture. In Jesus Christ alone we find its true meaning. He is the truth. Jesus came as one who was under the law. God the father placed his eternal son to be under the law. In order that he may render the law full obedience. And he did so. No one could convict him of sin. He challenged them. He defied them. Can anybody convict me of sin? No one could. He kept the law. Though he was crucified as a lawbreaker. In fact, he was perfect and blameless. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf. And that is the reason that his perfect divine righteousness can be imputed to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he came to fulfill the scriptures in the sense to fulfill its predictions. And so he also paid the penalty for our sins as our substitute. The whole scripture was pointing to him from Genesis on to the end of the Old Testament. Every sacrifice pointed to him. He fulfilled the scripture that declared that the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He suffered death on the cross as the accursed one in our behalf. Yes he came to fulfill the scripture that pointed to his suffering in our behalf. As we read from Genesis 3.15, as we read in Psalm 22, as we read in Isaiah 53, turn with me to the gospel of St. Luke and the 24th chapter and listen to what he himself says in verse 27 and in 44. And beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself verse 44 he said to them this is what i told you while i was still with you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of moses the prophets and the psalms meaning the entire old testament fourthly He fulfills the scripture by enabling us to fulfill the scripture. We do not keep the law as a covenant of works in order to be justified because we are born sinners. There is none righteous. We all are rotten as we come from the mother's womb. Perverse, crooked, self-centered, rebellious stubborn enemies of god's law and people who are incapable of submitting to his law so i am not saying that we keep the law in order to be justified we are justified by grace through faith in the person and work of christ and in this covenant of grace we glory but as people Justified by his divine righteousness. Now we are enabled to keep the moral law of God. It is the rule of our life. Therefore it is still true. We must honor our father and our mother. It is still true. That we must love the Lord our God. With all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And our neighbor, as ourselves. Which is the summary of God's moral law. Read Romans 10 and verse 4. It says Christ is the end of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That is speaking about justification by faith. Thus righteousness is imputed to every believer in Jesus. It is a righteousness apart from our works. It is the righteousness of God to which the law and the prophets testified and pointed forward to. But there is also an imparted righteousness. An experimental righteousness. In other words, we practice righteousness on a daily basis. In other words, where there is justification... Where there is this imputation of God's divine righteousness into us. There is also a practicing of righteousness by every person who is justified. So no one can separate justification from sanctification. So Paul in Romans speaks about justification by faith. Now let's turn to Romans 8 and verse 3 and verse 4. And there we are told this. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that. Notice the purpose of it all. The purpose of Christ's death on the cross, Christ's passive obedience, and Christ's active obedience. The purpose of it all is this. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law. As As the one who interpreted it correctly, as the one who lived under it, as the one who fulfilled its predictions, but also he fulfills it in us. We love God. We honor Mother. We do not lie. We do not steal. We keep God's Sabbath. We work six days a week and so on. Jesus came to fulfill the law in Himself. He also fulfills the law in us. This is sanctification. This is doing good works. This is shining us light in the world. This is loving God with all of our hearts. And loving neighbor as ourselves. Which is the summary of God's moral law. Jesus was not an antinomian. And neither are Christians antinomians. Let's see what Paul says in the book of Romans. In which he spoke about justification by faith. But turn with me to the 13th chapter of Romans. Let me read to you from verse 8. Let not debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And read Matthew 22, 34 through 37 in which Jesus Christ summarizes the Ten Commandments, the first and the second commandment. And what is it? To love God. And to love his neighbor as oneself. So Paul says let not debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. And what is that role? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Don't tell me that you are a Christian and refuse to keep God's law out of love. People walk around saying, oh, I'm not under law. Jesus is Savior, but he is no Lord. They are modern Pharisees who eviscerate the scripture. Let me tell you, Jesus not only forgives our sins, he makes us sons of God. And as sons of God, we imitate his one and only son, Jesus Christ, in delighting in and doing God's will as revealed in his moral law. In fact, if you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us illustration as to how we should keep God's moral law. So, in Jesus, the divine purpose in Scripture would be fully worked out. Remember what Jesus said to John the Baptist when he wanted him to baptize him. He said this, Let it be so now, it is proper for us. To do this and fulfill all righteousness. And if you do not love God's moral law. If you do not delight in it. It is because you are not justified by faith. It's because you are not born of God. It is because you pretend that you are a Christian. That's what it is. Exactly what it is. Thirdly. Jesus tells us in this portion of scripture that our righteousness must surpass exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees the word speaks about the overflowing of the river banks by water surpassing righteousness is demanded of every Christian in order to be. To enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says if if you do not exceed and surpass the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. By no means you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says here no one is permitted to break even the least commandment of God. And he tells us how to be great in God's kingdom. If you want to be great in in God's kingdom, you must practice his commandments and teach others to do the same. They will be called megas, great in the kingdom of heaven. Practice and teach these commandments found in the infallible, inherent, authoritative and permanent word of God. Do and teach, he says. Why did he say that? Because it was the practice of the scribes and Pharisees to say and preach. But they never did what they said. You should go home and read the 23rd chapter of St. Matthew. And you will get an understanding of the stupidity and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And the professional theologians, the scribes. Paul tells Timothy this. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. Watch your life. That's practical righteousness. Watch your life. If you want to be a minister, read 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are a lot of people who want to be ministers. But their life is miserable. They cannot control their family. Their kids are crazy. Disobedient. Wild. Their own life is wild. And yet they go around preaching the gospel. Timothy. Watch your life. How you live. And doctrine closely. Notice the order. And if you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. The first verse it says, Luke says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began what? To do and to teach. Father, do you do and teach? Mother, do you do and teach? Preacher, do you do and teach? Or you just teach? That's pharisaism. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's look at this idea of exceeding, surpassing the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What was the nature of the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes? Read. Again, Matthew 23, that will give you a flavor of the hypocrisy and the filth and the wickedness of these people. Pharisees' righteousness. Jesus came to fulfill the scripture. His ethics and doctrine were in harmony with the Holy Scripture, he says. But his ethics and his doctrine were opposed. 100% to the ethics and doctrines of the scribes and Pharisees. You know, the scribes and Pharisees were thought of as paragons of virtue. If anybody will make it to the kingdom of heaven, people said the scribes and Pharisees would. But here in this section of scripture, Jesus Christ excludes them. From the kingdom of heaven. Jesus declares that they were phonies. Jesus declares they were not good enough. For the kingdom of heaven. Remember a Nicodemus. A doctor of law. A member of the Sanhedrin. Came to Jesus by night. Jesus told him. You are outside the kingdom of God. With all your righteousness. You don't make it. He said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born from above. You must be born of the spirit. To see as well as to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what Jesus said was shocking and surprising that these paragons of virtues are excluded from the kingdom of heaven, from eternal life. Turn to Matthew 23, and let's read, beginning with verse 13 and 14. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. See, they are connected here throughout this chapter. The theologians. The professional theologians. And the practitioners of. Of this theology. The Pharisees. The separated ones. The holier than thou ones. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter. Who are trying to. They were blockheads. What was the nature of. Their righteousness then. Which we must exceed and surpass and go beyond. First it was external. Superficial. Matthew 23 and verse 25. Let me read to you. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 27, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Isn't that our problem too? We spend more time before mirror. We appear to be very nice when we come in contact with other people. What what about when we are alone? When nobody is watching us? What are we thinking? What are we doing? What are we practicing? The truth then is, their righteousness was superficial, surface, shallow, hollow, Their righteousness proceeded from a bad heart. They were not born again. Number two, their righteousness was selective. And we all have our own list in which we excel. Isn't that true? And we carry that around. And we tell other people, well, you are not excelling on the basis of my list. In Luke 18... This Pharisee glories in saying that I fast, what, twice a week. God only required one time a year. Here is a Pharisee who fasted 104 times a year. Isn't that wonderful? And he also tithed, particularly concerning herbs. I don't believe they tithed in real income, but they were very careful about cumin and anise. They were selective. But they avoided the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Read that, Matthew 23 and verse 23. Thirdly, their righteousness was self-made. I thank you that I'm not like anybody else. I fast. I give tithe. It was a human righteousness. But what God demands of us is nothing less than divine, perfect righteousness. Number four, their righteousness was self-glorying righteousness. They did everything before men so they can see it. And they can applaud. And the Pharisee sucks it up. He receives his reward from the applause that people would give. Luke chapter 16, turn with me to verse 15 and let me read to you. The Pharisees who loved the money, that's why I question whether they paid tithe really. I believe they paid tithe in cumin and not in real income because they were greedy people. They wouldn't part with their money for God. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. Number five, their righteousness was abominable. Detestable in the sight of God. So here Jesus says, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. That is speaking about the righteousness of the Pharisee was detestable and abominable before God. Isaiah said this in the 64th chapter, all our righteousness is like filthy rag. St. Paul said the same thing. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3, here as a Pharisee, He's speaking, reminiscing his life as a Pharisee here. Beginning with verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he glories in seven things, four inherited and three earned. What are the inherited ones? Circumcised on the eighth day. Not on, not on the tenth day. Not on the fifteenth day. Eighth day. Full-blooded Jew. That is father and mother of the people of Israel. Not only that, belong to that faithful tribe, Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Now he speaks about three earned ones. Pharisee. Acts chapter 26 and verse 5. Paul says he belonged to the strictest sect. Pharisee. He was a Pharisee by choice. Not only that, he was an activist. Zealous for God's law. So zealous he persecuted the church. And the third thing he earned, he says, concerning the righteousness of the law, what is it? Perfect. Who said that? He said, not God. And now, as a Christian, he looks at this and he calls it filthy rag dung, garbage. All that he gloried in, he calls it dung, refused something to be gotten rid of and he finds in Jesus Christ alone all his righteousness all our righteousness is abominable before God I was brought up in it don't smoke don't drink don't see movies don't dance don't play don't use lipstick don't have any jewelry don't wear any colored clothes we have our list list and we are very proud of it. I don't eat meat. Do you eat meat? And I could always look down upon somebody who cannot conform to my little list. Forget about your list. What God came to fulfill is your, not your list. He came to fulfill God's eternal law. So only we need to study what the scripture is telling us in its totality. And do the commands of God. Jesus said so. You must exceed surpass. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. How can we do it? Well. We do it because he gives us a new heart. Through new birth. He gives us divine nature. Read Romans 8 and verse 7. That natural man. He's an enemy of God's law. He cannot submit to God's law. He hates God's law. But because of new birth and new nature, divine nature, we love God's law. We delight in God's law. Let me tell you, if you are not born of God, you cannot exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You can only have The phony righteousness of the Sadducees and Pharisees. The superficial, the shallow, the selective, the abominable. Yes, we are able to do it because we are justified by faith. God's righteousness is imputed to us. Yes, we are able to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because we have been made sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God we have a. Natural habit of imitating him. Read Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. There we are commanded to imitate our God. We are able to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees because God himself works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's right. We are unable to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That phony, stupid, shallow, abominable righteousness. Because we have a new dynamic. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. If you are a Christian, you have a new nature. And also the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And he is not inactive. He is active in the work of illumination. And in the work of empowering us. To do the will of God. We are able to exceed the righteousness. Of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because. We are given understanding into God's word. And in which we delight. Because Jesus said my yoke is what. Easy and my burden is light. So we are a certain people. By divine operation in our life. A new people, a different people, a changed people. Who are given the ability to perform. Therefore, Jesus said hunger and thirst after righteousness. In Matthew 7 and verse 24, he concludes by this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded them. God has a people, Isaiah spoke about them in Isaiah 61 and verse 3. They are called oaks of righteousness, not tumbleweeds of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. We are able to go beyond the Pharisees and Sadducees because... The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by which we love God and love our neighbor, which is the summary of the moral law. God, Jesus Christ said, be ye therefore what? Perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh yes, we are Christian and our righteousness exceeds that of the phonies. Due to imparted righteousness and imputed righteousness. And let me assure you, we shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Without this surpassing righteousness, no one will enter. Without holiness, no one will see God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And praise be to God that the spirit of the living God is... Causing us to be holy, to be pure. Causing us to be able to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Let me tell you one thing more. If you question the authority of this statement, Jesus said, Amen, I tell you. The prophet said, thus saith the Lord... Apostles said it is written. Jesus said, Of a truth I tell you. It is the very authority of the Son of God. God himself that demands from us. The righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The people were amazed you read the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. They were amazed at his teaching. And they said, he teaches with, with authority. authority. Do you feel that authority in your bones? Let me ask you, do you believe the scripture to be infallible, inerrant, permanently valid at all times? Or do you oppose scripture? If you do, you oppose Jesus Christ who honored scripture and came to establish it and to fulfill it. It is my prayer that the the law of God will convict us and drive us to the gospel which says what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You shall be saved. Hallelujah. He will give you a new heart, a new mind, a new nature. He will make you sons and daughters of God. He will fill you with abundance of love by which you and I will delight in the law of God. In fact, obedience becomes the great joy of our heart. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to have exceeding righteousness. To go beyond the phony, superficial, selective, self-glorying, abominable righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Hallelujah. That when you come, you will say to us, come. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Help us to get rid of our own list. Help us to get into the word of God in his totality. Help us to study it. Submit to it. And by God's grace do these commandments and teach them. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.